0: A perpetual motion holder is an ideal transformer in as much as it can pass DC because it prevents the leakage of DC, because it is precharged with DC and retains the DC in its magnetic memory, its, its remnants. In a Um, special type of induction motor single phase namely the type that is the embodiment of the electromechanical watt-hour meter AC meter from a bygone era which terminated about a decade ago in America we have a very special case of an induction motor because the um, two aspects of remnants the voltage aspect versus the current aspect, are both brought out because the coils on the so-called stator, which I prefer to call a core, but whatever, the the stator of the uh, AC meter, are disoriented from each other by 90 degrees. The current coil, which is two or three wrappings, a very stout solid core copper winding, surrounding the toroid itself Um, that's going and that's connected to the electrical connections of the AC meter in a series fashion while the voltage coil is connected in a parallel fashion and it's not wound on the toroid itself a stump comes out of the toroid towards the center pointed towards the center of the um, empty area of the toroid, the space in the middle of the toroid, the space in the middle of the donut, it's pointed towards that, which shows us a voltage gradient across that coil between the two terminals, across the length of that coil. Um, Analogous to, to the voltage gradient between the center of a homopolar generator and the periphery of a homopolar generator and that's exactly what the voltage coil on an AC meter electromechanical water meter is taking advantage of that voltage gradient in space between the center of a rotating field magnetic field and the periphery. We know that about the Earth closer we go towards the surface of the earth, a change in voltage occurs towards the negative. We go away from the surface towards the upper atmosphere, it becomes more positive. Um, so these two coils are able to register within themselves the two aspects of wattage and yet it has to and yet nobody's ever considered the possibility of of utilizing this toroidal core of an AC electromechanical water meter as a perpetual motion holder experiment. Until now, maybe. <laughs> I was nutty enough to come up with the idea one morning. And it may be essential that a brush or brushless, I'm not sure which, DC motor, one, at least one, has to be connected across either the line or the um, what's the other one the load of the AC meter um, in order to act as a kind of symbiotic relationship making it possible for the AC meter to function as um, one part of a whole generator DC generator because by itself it's incomplete, and that was one of my podcasts in a prior episode, is that um either the Iman brothers or the Nathan Stubblefield's device or both are incomplete because the load is not included in our perception of what's going on. And when we include the load, when we attach a load, or maybe a specific type of load, an inductive versus a resistive <clears throat> then the circuit becomes complete as an over-unity generator. But only then does that occur. Now, there are other elements in Nathan Stubblefield's case. There's the earth, and there's the old oak tree that sits above the, the so-called earth battery of Nathan Stubblefield. Be that as it may, um, this is what I'm suspecting may also be the case in the Amman brothers. And it may also be the case in the in, in the case of the myth we have and paucity of information concerning tesla's trimetal generator composed of aluminum copper and iron it uh, these kinds of devices may all share one thing in common and that they need a load to complete themselves or else they will not be over unity by themselves alone so it's not according to our standard thinking But it is according to the kind of thinking I had when I first started out studying this free energy topic 10 years ago by getting involved by buying or purchasing a um, RAV4 EV from 2002 off of eBay because I felt at the time that the motors in the car can somehow generate their own power. And this goes beyond what John Bedini was considering when he was a 10-year-old boy of hooking up a generator to a motor and having them run uh, perpetually. Uh, he, he eventually solved the riddle, but um, notice he had two. See, that's the important thing. We, we, we think about uh, load versus source. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's the correct way to analyze the situation, and that's why we're having our problems. I think the um, functionality of a generator has been split into two parts and the, what we call load is only one half of the function of gen, the generation of power satisfies, satisfies the functionality the requirements uh, by definition of the generation of power I think that's what's what's going on and and so it, it's uh, warping uh, this requirement is it required uh, well our way to analyze it traditionally has been all wrong because we always apply voltage and to a load and so we have this the application of voltage coming from a so-called source in the direction of uh, something that doesn't have the voltage namely a load but and then the flow between them, you know, arising as current. But I, I think this is the wrong way to look at it. There has to be a different way to analyze the situation to be able to understand and appreciate what's taking place in realistic, you know, logical terms um, to uh, to help facilitate our understanding of these historical inventors who have come and gone, namely seer Leman and Nathan Stubblefield, and uh, the myth uh, that uh, Tesla is behind the so-called trimetal generator. These myths uh, persist, or <laughs> these accounts, be they myths or not, persist because it's challenging our awareness to analyze things differently than what we've been conventionally taught, because the situation is different, so it calls for a different analysis. It, we can't ana- analyze it the same way um, that we normally analyze, because we're not doing it's it, the normal uh, operation modality is is not normal anymore. It's something else. It's it's a different arrangement. So we have to reorganize our thoughts on them on or our approach to analyzing the situation. Anyway, um. So these are my expectations for my experiment that I have yet to perform. But I do think it's um, uh, you can either call it a perpetual motion holder experiment or you can call it a ideal transformer experiment in which DC leakage is the cause of a transformer becoming incapable of passing DC from the primary to the secondary. It's because no sooner than it gets to the core it leaks out and there's nothing to transfer to the secondary that's why it does not transfer because it leaks so bad that if we, analyze, if we made an analogy with a bucket it's not a bu- bucket with leaky holes it's more like a bucket without a bottom so that no sooner than you put the water in it's gone instantaneously not gradually but instantly and that's why I think a perpetual motion holder is the solution to the cons- to the operational uh, operation and construction or design of an ideal transformer in our physical world, and not in the world of um, idealization, you know, philo- philosophizing or, or uh, fantasizing, um, simulating, if you w- if you wish. Uh, I think it, 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 perpetual motion holder makes it possible to take it out of that uh, realm of theory and bring it back into the realm of practicality. And I think these inventors have come before us by a century, have already figured that out. And they are preceded by Oliver Heaviside, his solution to the transatlantic uh, telegraph cable problem of the 1880s. Um, Because I'm guessing now that the... Uh, wire connection that I make between the toy DC motor um, experiment that I'm going to be performing and the I-10 general electric um, meter, electromechanical water meter, I may have to wrap iron wire around those copper insulated copper wire connections to get it to work. And I may have to fasten the iron wire to the iron chassis of the meter, Or the aluminum chassis. You know, there's something I forgot to mention or something that I had overlooked. It's not that I forgot to mention, but I forgot where things were. In a prior podcast, I stated that the eye hole or needle hole for the so-called grounding wire was positioned on the back plate, the cast iron back plate of the I-10 meter. I was wrong. It's on the aluminum shell that protrudes out Towards the viewer, when you're looking at it from the front, um, that shell is like barrel-shaped, and it has a little glass partition or window on um, the, the, the the front end of that barrel. The um, the circular, <laughs> not the barrel and not the circumferential uh, side, but the uh, so-called bottom of a barrel side that's facing us. Um, half of that is glass and the other half is aluminum but the barrel itself is aluminum the extension that comes out towards us and it's an aluminum fastener attached to the outside that has a hole in it for what I assume to be a grounding wire and that makes sense that it would be aluminum to be your ground not iron, see so I got things a little mixed up so that puts into question what purpose could that serve as an overunity device? Do we attach it to a mass of aluminum? Instead of what Tesla said, uh, for every 200 pounds of iron added to a special generator, you know, mag- by way of magnetic coupling, uh, one horsepower was increased at the output. Is this a situation where we add aluminum and not iron? A, a mass of aluminum? Um, now, looking at the I-10, you wouldn't know it because that, uh, the, the shell protruding out that surrounds the register, you know, the, the, the uh, bronze um, gears that make up the register of the meter, um, you wouldn't know it's made of aluminum unless you took it off. It screws off and because it's covered with bakelite, which is a kind of paint that's baked in, uh, uh, ...to make a kind of enamel seal around the outside of the meter... ...so it doesn't rust or, you know, form oxidation on any of the metallic surfaces. And it serves as insulator. Um, but the ring hole is bare. Yeah, it's, um, it's there attached um, and it's bare metal... ...so that it can make an electric a conductive uh, connection to the chassis of this meter, but it's at the aluminum portion of that chassis, not the iron. So I'm, I'm beginning to wonder now what that ser- purpose that serves. Is it merely to ground the chassis or can we get over unity out of it by increasing the mass of what we connect it to? So instead of connecting it to earth ground, we connect it to a common ground or a virtual uh, floating ground. Um, and does it matter what substance that floating ground is, is made of? Um, is, uh, does it, should it be the same substance as the shell, namely aluminum? And I guess now that I think of it, actually iron would matter the mass. But with aluminum, no. Aluminum, it's the surface area. So because everything's different, they're, they're totally opposite magnetisms. The paramagnetism of aluminum and the ferromagnetism of the iron. The ferromagnetism of the iron wants to concentrate magnetism in its center. That's why um, we wrap a coil, a, a copper coil, around an iron core, uh, because like the shape of a coil, concentrating its magnetic force in the center of that coil the iron wants to do the same thing. It wants to concentrate its magnetism inside itself at its center, um, or else we wouldn't have the toroid of the uh, being an ideal core for a transformer be, uh, because the iron wants to form a ring around a center, um, the magnetic field of uh, ferromagnetism. But with aluminum, it's completely opposite. Aluminum prefers to float and, and be separate and detached and isolated and thus virtual, serve as a virtual ground, a virtual capacitance. So I think it facilitates um, connecting to a, 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 an aluminum mass that is not massive so much as it has a large surface area. Because the aluminum shell uh, extending out from the uh, Back piece, the cast iron back piece that it's screwed into, is actually exhibiting a lot of surface area, as it is. Logically, to surround the register, but um, I think that kind of conclusion is uh, short sighted that that's merely the reason, or the cover story, shall we say. You know, it's the explicit reason, but it's not the implicit reason that's lurking. There in the shadows, um, so to speak, of uh, the design of this thing. Uh, let's see, there was another. Th- oh, in later models, I, I bought a couple of meters off of eBay, about four or five, and um, a later model, I think from the 1930s, 1935, I want to say is similar to the I-10, except the aluminum shell is replaced with a glass globe that screws into the back piece, and the back piece is not cast iron anymore. I think it's stainless steel or aluminum or something. Um, so things are a little different, and it could be that when we get to that stage of development of the AC meter, it's lost its ability, I think, to become an ov- uh, a generator an over-unity generator, a free-energy device. I think the I-10 is peculiar and unique that it has all the elements that are required. It has the three metals, and it has them in the right arrangement, and it doesn't throw any of it away, the opportunity to make use of those three types of magnetism. It doesn't throw it away. It makes use of it in a very peculiar way. Now, the brass, being that it's a copper alloy, I think satisfies the copper aspect of the um, functionality of the trimetal generator, fable, uh, if you will, um, while still uh, serving an, an, a secondary purpose of not um, oxidizing because it's bare, it's not it, you can't cover the gears with insulation or it would wear off. So they made them out of brass. Now the spindle of the aluminum disc is brass, as I recall, and it's set into jewel. Bearings, and I forget what jewels they are i 'm sorry to say i can 't say, say off the top of my head what they are and i 'm always wondering what is uh, the mineral or minerals that Sierra Lemon said was inside his device? I just assumed it was borax or baking soda composed uh, composing diodes, but what if he was referring to jewels, which could be referred to as minerals, I suppose they come from the earth. <laughs> They're a natural product of the earth. Um, so I don't know, you know, there's all these speculations we can make. Um, but it's worth stating for the record, you know. When we're busy brainstorming, trying to come up with solutions, uh, that's all we can do is cover everything. And uh, just when we thought we covered everything, uh, what else did we forget, you know. Because you never know what where we might hit pay dirt, you know so we can't leave anything no stone uncovered <laughs> as the saying goes um, let's see I guess I've covered it as much as I can think of at the moment in preparation for my experiment now I can't remember if these motors are brushless or, or brush DC motors these little toy motors I'm going to have to l- look now in my records when I bought them what the title of those uh, motors are uh, they came a lot to a pa- to a small box, I think 10 to a box. So I got them real cheap. Um, the shell, the chassis of those motors, appears to be either stainless steel or aluminum. It's certainly not iron. Um, but the magnetism from the magnets inside that DC motor is huge. So it is not a fully coil motor. It does have permanent magnets in there, along with its coils. You know, among the different varieties of DC motors, some I think are strictly coils, but usually not. Usually they, they have permanent magnets replacing co- uh, coils, um, so you don't have to energize. You, you just energize the minimum you know, amount of coilage, if you can call it coilage, um, and the rest is taken care of by the permanent magnets so it saves you energy you know it's energy saving i suppose to uh use permanent magnets but um yeah, any permanent magnet can be replaced by a coil so you know <laughs> it doesn't have to have permanent magnets but they're in there it's a very highly magnetic it's very p- strong they they when they comes in the box they all want to uh, attach to each other they're very they're very uh, friendly with each other <laughs> you know they're hugging each other shall we say um Let's see what else can I state? <clears throat> I guess I can't think of anything else. I couldn't do the experiment today because I had to get some tools that are buried in storage somewhere. You know, wire cutters. You know, I could have used scissors, but I didn't want to. <laughs> uh, what else did I have to get? Oh, yeah, a small, uh, small size uh, standard uh, screwdriver, because there's a screw on covering the cover. Pl- there's a screw that attaches the cover plate to the four terminals of the AC meter, the I-10. And um, in order to get in there and screw... Uh, uh, screw, uh, The screws are the, um, the fasteners for the two lines and the two load wires that enter and exit the uh, AC meter. So in order to open them up to put in the wire... <laughs> I had to take off the cover piece and I didn't have a a standard uh screwdriver available so I used a nail file but uh, it was kind of cumbersome so there were a few things I had to buy. Uh what else did I have to buy? Oh, safety glasses <laughs> in case anything should happen cuz I I want to in storage I do have uh accessible 100 watt um light bulbs, 60 watt and I think 25 and I want to include them as part of my line of experiments. But initially, I'm not going to, I'm just going to, just going to start with the toy motors. But I'm going to want to include them at some point to see what happens if the AC meter is confronted by not merely an inductive lo- uh, set of loads, but a mixture of an inductive and resistive loads. And what happens if the inductive loads are removed um, and just a resistive load is in place. You know I don't have resistors available, but I have incandescent light bulbs. that'll work <laughs> um' let's see what else. Oh, somebody on Cora stated uh for the record that um ac meters are flexible in what frequency they can they can run at any frequency. That's not the point on how they run. It'll change their uh, the accuracy of their metering. Uh, But since I'm not using it to meter anything, I don't have to worry about that. I didn't state that, so, you know, he didn't know what my intentions were. So, he gave the correct response. But, um, in any case, my question had to do with, are they restricted to what frequency they can operate at? And they're not. They can operate at any frequency. So, um, that's good news, because... um, Why? Why? Because the action of the DC motors in uh, functioning as what I'm considering, they will be functioning as signal generators of a type, creating some kind of waveform that we assume to be DC and not a waveform. But I'm going to assume that that's not the case, because I'm as, at the worst case scenario, I'll assume that they create noise. If we rotate a DC motor, and operate it as a generator, I suspect it's a noisy output that's hardly cleanly DC. Um, And what format that noise takes, is it pulses, is it square waves, is it a mixture, a a messy mixture, I don't know. But I'm guessing that's the way to analyze the situation, is that the AC meter provides the power because of the massive core that is toroidally shaped as a perpetual motion holder Uh, but it needs a signal to operate and normally the signal comes from the hydroelectric plant or the generator plant uh, 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 feeding AC to the grid and then we convey it via the grid to our uh, meter before it reaches the interior of our home or office building. But we normally think of the hydroelectric plant as a power source, and I think this is wrong. I think it's a signal source, and this is what William Lyne was alluding to in his interview with Paul Scarzo, Um, and that ultimately the power is being generated by the meter itself, but it needed a signal to get it to run. And this also uh, implies uh, the experience of... um, Uh, Paul, I want to say Paul Nelson, I can't remember his first name, who um, spoke to me about his 10-year experience setting up microgrids for rock concerts, that the microphones on stage, the pickup mics attached to the musician's instruments, were acting as signal inputs. And somewhere in the system, the power magnification was taking place because the... Meter on the gasoline-fired um, rotary electric generator never varied its output. Yet the meters on his console were, would fluctuate wildly prior to a woofer blowing up. The needles would uh, sweep uh, towards the positive and towards the negative, uh, an ever-increasing gain of amplitude before the thing would blow up. One of the woofers would eventually blow up in front of the audience and so to prevent that the minute the needles start to fluctuate wildly he knew to cut off the power and don't wait around <laughs> to see what happens as he noticed uh, newbies who came on the scene didn't know any better and they just let things go wild and blow up but he had 10 years of experience behind him so he knew better at that point um, not to let things grow out of extreme amplitude fluctuations ever-increasing amplitude fluctuations uh, on the various panels in his booth. But the meter on the uh, reg- uh, measuring the output of the uh, generator never varied. It was rock solid. And that's what you'd expect of a generator anyway. <laughs> but um, it shows there was no feedback influencing the generator. You know, he would put in the 9-foot uh, copper... Um, grounding rods um, to ground out the meter. You know, he he did everything to set up the microgrid. It was it was microgrid. It was a lot of physical work, laying out all the coax across the ground, uh, connecting everything. Um, but I found an article online that said that the junctions act of the coax can serve as capacitors in line with the length that serves as inductors. So. It's possible to get an overunity situation. I uh, I suspect because of that article from the coax, the nature of the connections, the lengths, and the, whether it's parallel or series, and how many, and then uh, with with regard in by comparison to what they are connected to. You know, all of it taken together, but the coax is the central focus of where I think the over is coming from. And Eric Dollard has stated this about the electric utility grid. It's it's a free energy device by design once it gets to a certain size, a certain minimum size. Just the size alone turns it into a free energy device. Um, so the wires I use to connect these uh devices in my upcoming experiment the length of that wire may matter the nature of the wire may matter i don't know um you know i don't know where it's going to take me you know in my search for um getting results from an ac meter making it possible to generate power somehow um or another but um try I will because it's certainly ripe. William Lyon was convinced that it was a Tesla invention that had a free energy um, functionality lurking in the shadows that we have failed to notice. And if it is indeed the trimetal generator it would make sense because um, that would make sense to me. Um, because it does, it has those three elements there. And the I-10 in particular, it has a, um, a very robust variety of the usage of those three metals. It's not um, um, mediocre in any way, shape or form. Um, just examining it, taking it apart and looking at everything, it's... It's just ripe with the uh, speculative possibilities of uh, it fulfilling that man of La mancha dream of uh, trying to find out what is Tesla's trimetal generator and and how does it operate? Can it be done totally solid state? I don't know you know maybe uh, it has to have a moving part to to operate. It would not surprise me, but anything has its equivalence, so just because um, the electromechanical version has a moving part doesn't mean it has to be a moving part. Um, It's a perforated aluminum disc. The perforations are meant to enhance the electrostatic charges uh, resulting from the eddy currents within the disc. so it's um, I don't know. You know, I'm not an electrical engineer, so I can't theorize like John Benini could, and, and then and actually come up with a solid-state version of a mechanical device, a mechanical uh, rotary electrical device. He could do that, but um, I can only speculate at this point because I know enough to know <laughs> that there's no one way of doing anything when it comes to electrical engineering. There's no such thing as one right way. It doesn't exist. There's an infinite range of possibilities of any situation that you can vary any particular design numerous times and times again. I mean, it's just there's no end to it. Um, which is, brings out the artsy side of the human mind, you know, to come up with creative solutions. Um, anyway, <laughs> I think I've covered just about everything I, I need to cover this evening. Um, but I'm looking forward to, um, this little, uh, chance to experiment again. It makes my, uh, day, uh, my, you know, it gives me something to look forward to. It's, uh, otherwise it's, I have a pretty glum existence, <laughs> as it turns out these days. Um so this is my my only form of entertainment I can't watch t v i can't i could listen to the radio i suppose i guess i could watch a portable TV and plug it into my car but you know why would i want to do that <laughs> a portable uh, portable d v. d player port, you know uh <clears throat> but um uh, i guess i i really what it amounts to us i don't have the money to spend i have spent it on well i could have Yeah, not anymore though. I'm pretty restricted. And so I'm really utilizing parts that I already have as much as possible because I'm very restricted on my income at the moment. I can't spare too much about anything um, because I'm working less. (laughs) I just hate my job, so why would I want to work enough to uh, make a little extra money? I can't. It's too stressful and I hate it. Um, so I'm looking forward to this, uh, it's certainly not stressful and it's my mi- mild version of entertainment. Now I can shut up.